Hey, today also happens to be one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It's name tag Sunday, all right? It means like during the invitation, I could forget my own name, okay? Uh, and so, I, I mean, I just love that on a Sunday morning, I'm walking around I'm like, oh yeah, whew, I got everybody's name. You're a genius today, okay? You can shake everybody's hand and know them by name. If you somehow got past the... Uh, the, the name tag police, okay? Um, you, you did pretty good, but it's just a way for you to get to know some folks. A lot of you sit in the same areas. You, you're not sure who people are. You get to identify with them, get to know them. Um, and, and, and I didn't know this until this week, but there's a debate on which side of your lapel that you wear your name tag. Did you know this was a thing? Some of you know this is a thing, all right? If you are working like in food service, you're supposed to wear your name tag on your right because when you shake hands, you shake with your right and they can see your name, right? Got it? But if you work at a booth or you work somewhere where you're standing like this and you're right-handed, you wear it on your left side, but if you're left-handed, you wear it on your right side because you don't want to block it. Just put the name tag on, okay? That's all we're asking is just put the name tag. I don't care if you put it in the middle if that'll make you feel better. It's just a way for us to to connect with each other in some little different ways here and there as the year goes on. But what if, what if your name tag actually said something about you that you, that, that was really about you? All right, so I made a few name tags for me, and this is based on my life the last couple weeks. Here's my name tags, all right? Here's a couple of them. Michael having a bad day. These are actually made out. Michael in a hurry, make this quick, all right? Michael loves Galaga. Any dudes from the 80s, all right? Puzzle builder, all right? That's me. I know I'm that guy. Michael, hungry on the way to hangry. I found out in the, fir- the first service that hangry is actually in the dictionary now, all right? Um, Michael, tired and I won't remember much, all right? This might, I might have said that to you. I hope not, but I might not remember much. Michael, excited to meet new people. I'm like a puppy. In a, in, a, in a pet store, all right? You take me out of the cage and put me in a room, and I'm like, <laughs> new people. I just love meeting new folks, all right? Um, here's more realistic. Ma- Michael, pastor, dad, husband. It tells you a little bit about who I am. Or maybe this could be a dangerous to wear and just let somebody fill in the blank with you and just says, Michael, who, who do you think I am? As we put on these little name tags, I mean, it gives people your name, right? Just lets them know your name. But it doesn't tell them your identity. It doesn't tell them who you really are. And for 14 weeks, Jesus has not been asking your name. He's been outlining your identity in Christ. He's been saying, listen, I know you got a name. I know you can claim to be and profess to be a follower of Jesus. And you might put Christian on there underneath your name. But are you really a follower? Is that your identity? Jesus is announcing, you have a name, but I have your identity. I have your calling. I have your direction. If you pursue Jesus and proclaim his name, live according to his teaching, I got the rest. Jesus carefully, methodically, and painfully has been examining for the last 14 weeks the conditions of our heart, our actions, our attitude. Last week he talked about a narrow path that leads to life. Talked about a broad path that leads to destruction. And it left me asking myself, do I believe that there's any other life worth living? Is there any other life worth living that is opposed to the narrow life? Really, is that broad path going to bring anything into my life? The answer is destruction. Do you believe that there's 
really no other path? Because Jesus does. Jesus taught this here. He taught this elsewhere in the Gospels. The narrow path is marked by surrender. It's marked by us acknowledging we decide, commit our lives to following and surrendering to Jesus Christ. And then he'll begin to shape us. He'll begin to define who we are. But see, the struggle is most of us, we come to the narrow path, and we get to the narrow path, and we say, now, before I start going on the path, God, we could, if we could form an agreement plan, right, where I keep these things, and you get to do these things, and I'll sign for these, you sign for that, and that's a good agreement. Matthew 5 through 7, there is no agreement, is there? There's no agreement plan. Uh, last night I was looking up, I was trying to read through one of the cell phone providers through their contracts, their agreement plans is what they call them. I, if we agree to all that, I mean, you, if you cancel the plan, you owe them your retirement. Just know that ahead of time. Just, if you've got a retirement account, just give it to them. If you cancel your plan early, they're going to get you. They're coming after you if you're a cell phone person. I'm sorry, the websites are just so confusing. And I read them and I sat there. So if I agree to this, then you're going to do this. If I agree to this. And a lot of us treat our relationship with the Lord like this. They go, well, you know, if, if you do this, then I promise I'll do this. If you'll let me keep doing this, then I, I, I might make this step. Jesus is not asking for an agreement plan where you list yours and he lists his. And then in the end, you sign it and say, yeah, we, we can live with that. What he's asking for is a covenant. What he's asking for is letting you know he is going to do his part if we will surrender to him. That's the story of the Bible. If we will surrender to him, he will move as he desires. Jesus is making this so clear. Jesus is not offering this plan. He's offering, saying, listen, surrender. It, it's, it's taking one of these name tags on it, and it's saying, listen, Jesus, you fill this name tag in with whatever description, whatever title, whatever desire, whatever direction you want my life to go, and I'll put it on because I trust you. Because I know you have the plan for me. And I'll pursue you. I'll follow you. Fill it in however you want. I trust you. Trust you. You know best. I'll do whatever you ask of me. And Jesus is saying this. This is what blows my mind. Jesus is saying this to his new followers, his new disciples, 2,000 years ago. If you follow me, allow me to fill in your life, and your title, your description, your name, however you decide it. Because we've seen all summer long that what a right relationship with God will produce right living. A right relationship with God will produce right living. It's a both and that we're going to see this morning. That a right relationship surrendering to, to, to the Lord through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ will produce right living if we are truly surrendered. And Jesus is going to give us to me, one of the most painfully clear and simple illustrations that we've seen thus far. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. We're going to go this morning, hopefully, through verse 23. 15 and 16 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus is raising a warning here toward a group of people who are going to be proclaiming the truth, 
who might have good intentions, who are proclaiming pieces of the truth, but their teachings are, Jesus has said, that they're not in line with, there are some false teachings that are taking place. Now, he, he gives us this picture. He says, who come to you in sheep's clothing? Sheeps are not predators, are they? Sheeps are not predators. They're just, all they want to do is graze. They'll graze on whatever's in front of them. It's good for them, it's bad for them. They're just going to graze. That's what they're going to do. It's what we're going to do. And here's what he says. In the middle of that, not on the outside of that, there are those false prophets, false teachers, who are going to sneak in, and they're going to do it under the cover of sheep's clothing, but inside they are ravenous wolves. What do wolves want to do when they get a hold of something? Destroy it. They want to kill it. That's all they want to do. They don't want to pamper it and love it. False prophets here are declared, as stated by Jesus, does not restrict itself to false preachers or teachers, but those who proclaim and say, yeah, I follow Jesus, but their lives, their attitudes, and their actions are not in line with Jesus. We're going to see that Jesus makes a huge culture-changing statement in a few moments. But then he goes on with this very simple illustration for us. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The statement from Jesus is one of examination. Do their actions, do their intentions, do their attitudes align with their heart? Or is it an outside expression? Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, hey guys, your words are wrong. He doesn't say, what's wrong? You, you need to read another theology book. It may be important, but he says that's not it. That's not what he says. He says, what's wrong with your words? No, what he says is, your words are incongruent with what's taking place in your heart. You claim to be a part of me, but your fruit that you are producing is not in me. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence this morning, right? And I don't think Jesus was insulting their intelligence. He was using a very common illustration. Now, probably most of us in this room don't have uh, a lot of blossoming trees in our yard with fruit. A couple of you guys do in, the, in this room, I know. But, but we know this. An apple, just a couple, just to make sure we got it. An apple comes from a what? Orange comes from a? Grape comes from a? grapevine. I thought you might get stumped on that one. Like, grape tree, all right? No, uh, vine. We know this. It's common sense. Jesus doesn't give an illustrious example that nobody in the room can grab. He comes down to their level and says, listen, let me just make it as basic as I can. A healthy tree produces healthy fruit, vibrant, growing, multiplying fruit. A bad tree? No. He even takes it further, further, not just say fruit. He says healthy tree produces good fruit, vibrant, producing, displaying growth. He speaks of this other times in Scripture, right? It's an important theme if he talks about it multiple times. He says this in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. In Luke, there are parallel references made from Jesus of the same reference 
in John chapter 15, there is one of the most beautiful depictions of us. If we have a relationship through Jesus Christ, then it leads us to right living, but it must be attached to Jesus as our source of strength. John 15, 1 through 7. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Say this part with me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's read that again. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's not a difficult illustration to grab. It's not something that's too lofty for us on a rainy September morning. It's easy enough for us to reach out and grab, okay, this, this fruit, this example that Jesus continues to give, it's hanging out there for us so that we can easily swallow and be able to process what Jesus is putting into our hearts and into our minds. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. These are, the only, these are, the, these are just references from Jesus about fruit. There's a couple of more. So there's a constant movement that Jesus is saying. Your life and your actions and your attitudes are a depiction of what's taking place in your heart. These statements lead us to rub up against some really difficult things. Can I, according to this passage, according to Matthew 7, according to John 15, According to other words by Jesus, some by Paul that we'll see in a minute, can I simply pray a prayer to follow Jesus and then live my life unchanged? You can't. You simply can't. What that displays is that you've never connected to the vine. Mentally, you may have processed it. Verbally, you may have even said it, but you have not yet believed in your heart. Is it okay for me to be a follower of Jesus yet continue to live with the same behaviors and the actions and the attitudes that I have before I followed him as my Savior? Is that good fruit? No, it's not. doesn't mean that you walk in the church in the first moment, you give your life to Christ, and tomorrow morning everything's going to be completely different, and you're just going to walk this straight, perfect line the rest of your life. Some of you in the room will probably want to laugh out loud that because you know that that's not the way that it happens. It's a process. It's a growth. Surrender does not have the option to create your own list of do's and don'ts and make my best deal. That's not fruit producing. The Apostle Paul gives a distinct listing of works, fruit of the flesh versus fruit of the Spirit is how he calls it. Several summers ago, we, we took an entire summer to examine this passage of Scripture from Galatians. But I think it's important for us if we say, okay, pastor, you're talking about that I'm supposed to be producing fruit. What, would, what does that fruit look like? How do I know if I'm producing that fruit? Paul gives us a way that we can recognize if we have works of the flesh or works of the spirit. 
He says this in Galatians 5, 19-24, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're surrendering those passions and desires, and He's replacing those with this fruit in our lives. So if you want to say, well, pastor, I'm not sure what kind of fruit should I be producing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Skip kindness in there, I think. That's a start. That's a place for us to start saying, are any of those evident in my life? Is that the fruit that's hanging off of me? Is that what my neighbor would say of me? Is that what my spouse would say of me? That those are the fruit that are hanging off of me, that I'm producing the lives? Is that what your children would say of you? Is that what you would say of your pastor when he's not standing on the platform? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus is warning his disciples. You keep your eyes open. See, this is all a part of this. You keep your eyes open because there's going to be those that are going to come along that are going to tell you opposite of this. There's going to be those that creep in and say, man, this is not necessary. He's calling them to search for good fruit. Jesus has an expectation that following him will change your life. Period. Following Jesus will change your life. It is an expectation. It is a calling. Has your decision to follow Christ changed your life? Has your decision to follow Jesus Christ changed your life? Has it changed my life? And and we should be able to answer this question a year from now and be able to answer in the affirmative and be able to say, but it's not like it was September 16, 2018. I've continued to grow. I've continued to push. God has continued to refine me. And so I don't care if you're 15 in the room or 75. The intentions of your heart, your actions, and your attitudes should still be changing to be more in line with who Jesus is. So I was really baffled the other day as I was preparing um, Thursday of how, I mean, I could just give you this illustration and we could go home. It's not hard. It's very simple. Good fruit, good tree. Bad fruit, bad tree. Y'all have a great day. Get home before the rain, all right? And then I started thinking, well, Jesus is sitting on the hillside. He's got his newly formed disciples with him. Some onlookers listening. Why did they need this message so early in the game? They're just starting this walk of faith. They're not 20 years in or 30 years in or two years in. They're just starting to follow Jesus. They had three more years to walk with Jesus, to hear Jesus, to see the miracles of Jesus. Why why couldn't he give this to them on on the tail end of all of it and say, guys, oh, by the way, you need to be producing fruit. But he jumps in at the beginning. 
Could it be, I don't know for sure, could it be that he knew their hearts were no different than the people of Israel from the Old Testament that had pursued Jesus, pursued the Lord, disappointed the Lord, turned from the Lord, were forgiven by the Lord? Could it be that he knew that their hearts had the same difficulty as following the narrow path as the people of Israel? Maybe. Sure he did, but is that the reason? I don't know. Could it be that he knew the temptations that would come when Jesus left the building? When Jesus left and ascended into heaven, could it be that he was pouring this into him now to say, guys, stay connected to the vine, produce the fruit, um, good fruit, good tree, bad fruit, bad tree, stick with it, guys, not just with your words, not just with your actions, but with your heart. Protect yourself from false prophets. Or could it be that Jesus knew that 2,000 years later, we'd need the same reminder? We need the same simple reminder. Good fruit comes from a good tree. It's connected to the vine. Bad tree, bad fruit, disconnected and thrown into the fire. It's not complicated. Are you producing fruit? Spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace. Are you, as Jesus commanded, making disciples? to baptize them, to teach them? Are you a a fruitful, disciple-making disciple? I I, I don't know the intentions of why this appeared here, but I can say Jesus is very clear that his desire is for surrender down his path, for his actions, for his attitudes, for our hearts. Our decision to surrender to Jesus demands a change. It just does. Jesus is making it clear that being a disciple means a great deal more than church attendance. Notice he didn't say, hey guys, you need to come to church more. Being a follower is not declared simply because you know the name of the Lord. This this is some slippery places right here, all right? The declaration of Jesus, if you say, well, I, I say I believe then that puts you on the same level with demons. Never been called a demon in church before, have you? Let's finish the sermon, all right? Here's what James says. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. He's saying there's going to be some false prophets that come along and they're going to state that they believe. They're going to put these things out there. But listen, they state they believe, but their lives don't match up. It's incongruent. It does not. It's not parallel with their faith. He said even the demons believe. And then he makes this declaration in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says, not everyone who says, to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we, we've got to carefully listen to Jesus here, okay? Because he's not impressed with flowery words, with a, a, a prayer time that has a bunch of word count in it, all right? What he is asking for is the condition of our heart. And yes, Paul clearly says that this begins with a confession of our heart. Paul says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. It's a belief in the heart. It's a confession with the mouth. For the heart, with, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is a both and, not an either or. And, and don't come back and say, well, he just says here that if I confess with my mouth, and Jesus says, well, you know, some said, Lord, Lord, and I don't know them by name. If we put these teachings together, we see that Jesus' teachings, Paul's teaching, they're saying, listen, yeah, Romans 10 says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Absolutely, but Romans 12 says you're to live a life of worship every single day, transforming your mind. So it's a both and that we're called to. It's like this, most simple illustration I can give you. We'll go with simple. If I proclaim my love for my wife, Emily, um, she's awesome, she's fantastic, and if I proclaim my love in front of all you guys, and I proclaim my love in front of some other people, but if I do not spend time with her, if I do not show her affection, if I do not go out of my way to do things for her, then my words don't match my actions and therefore they do not produce a surrendered heart to her of love. You want both and in your relationships. You want both and in your friendships. You want both and from your children. You want both and from your spouse. You want both and from your parents. You want the verbal affirmation that they love you and the outward expression that they love you and see these two match. Then why in the world would we give the Lord anything less? Jesus was not impressed simply by a statement of belief. Even the lifestyle, again, James 2.19, the demons have that covered. But he was investigating their actions because they were performing some actions and they were powerful actions, but there was no interchange as he was examining their lives. He says in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? That's a pretty impressive spiritual resume. Am I wrong? That's pretty awesome. And then I would declare to you, I, and then I would declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's not looking for a padded resume. Has anybody ever handed you a resume and you, you start looking through it and you, Wow. How did they ever do all this? By the age of 12. You're flipping the pages and you're going, wow, they, they have an 8.8 GPA. I, I thought it stopped at four. You know, they counted AP golf, all right? And it's in there and they, they bumped up the GPA. They, they involved, oh man, I, I was in a club. I was in fourth grade. I lived on David Avenue. We had a club in my backyard. I was the club president. Put that on there. Just put David Avenue club president. It looks good. We list every job. Sometimes you read a resume, you, they list every job that they've ever had and every job that they've ever hoped they had. Every book, they, oh, here's my reading list. They haven't read them, but it's a good reading list. You know what I'm talking about? We pad the resume, and if you call their references they are going to be the equivalent of a saint, right? Oh, well, that guy, oh, I'm telling you, he, he does everything right. He's got it all together. Uh, who is it? Oh, it's his dad. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hang up, right? Jesus was announcing from the onset of his ministry, guys, I'm not impressed you're a pastor. 
I'm not impressed you can play the guitar. I'm, I'm not impressed that you grew up in church. I'm not impressed that your family grew up in the church. I'm not impressed that you go to summer camps or work summer camps or go on mission trips or go help people with disaster relief. I, I, I'm not even concerned if you give. But what I do want is a surrendered heart and a relationship that will lead to right actions. He's not looking for a resume. He's looking for a surrendered heart that will say and do and the things will match. He's looking for a surrendered heart. He's looking for the ordinary who cling to what? We don't cling to our resume anymore. We cling to his forgiveness. We don't cling anymore to our power. We cling to the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't cling anymore to our giftedness or our abilities. We cling to what he puts us in the midst of and how he empowers us. Because what happens all throughout the New Testament is when people surrender their lives to Jesus, extraordinary things took place. The most ordinary of folks, God was able to do the extraordinary of moments. Why? Because they surrendered their hearts. And that's what God has a propensity to do. He elevates the ordinary. And on your name tag, if you were to write an honest statement, you might say, Michael, ordinary. Michael, I'm not sure what gifts I have. Michael, I'm not sure what he has intended for me. But could it be the greatest thing we could ever write on the bottom of this is, Michael, surrendered. Michael, obedient. See, it's not simply about the title, it's about the condition of my heart. The ordinary made extraordinary. Jesus knows every single road that you're going to face. He knows some of them are messy. He knows some of them are imperfect, but ultimately on those moments, he says, I can see that you're surrendered and you have a love for me. But he says, I I turn to the prophets. Jesus speaks to them. He says, I turn to the prophets. He says, of all the people who are impressed with you, I'm not one of them. I don't care about your miracles. I don't care about your prophecies. What I wanted you to do in my name was to follow me. What is not namely about your words and not primarily about your gifts, but about a love for me that comes out of obedience. In verse 22, in verse 23, he says to the false prophets, I have no idea who you are. I have no idea who you are. When the Lord comes back or he calls me home, whatever happens first, and I stand before God as my father, he will not ask me, hey, can can you pull that resume out for me? Let's, Let's check it off. But he'll ask me, and he'll know me because I've surrendered. And he'll say, come on in. I know your name. I know your heart. I know your actions. I know your intentions. Has your desire, decision to follow Christ changed your life? And what fruit is your relationship with Christ producing? I know we ask a lot of questions here and 
try to give you some questions to go home on. I don't think any of those, either of those two questions are worded in a way that's tough to understand. I hope that they're written in a way for you to wrestle with. Has your decision to follow Christ changed your life? Has it? If not, it may be a cause for you to examine your surrender to him, your trust with him. It may be a cause for you, even during our invitation this morning, to say, I've never trusted in Jesus Christ. I've never done what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, that if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will save me. I've never done that. We love to know that this morning. We love to share in that with you if you want us to share that with you. But also, those of us who trust the Christ, what fruit is your relationship with Christ producing? Because I desire your name tag when you are greeted by the Lord to say, you have a relationship with me. You have been good fruit. Welcome home. Welcome home. Let's pray.